Welcome in the Lane Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, September 27th, the year of our Lord 2022. College football seemingly on the brink of a renaissance season part two. And you and I have a front row seat together. We are jam-packed, high atop a temperate and jamming downtown Nashville. You walk out in the parking garage right now, you can hear like five different country songs being covered. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful night. It's a beautiful show that we have planned for you because we have full week five predictions. And we're going to make some very, very treacherous picks tonight. I know because I've seen the spoilers. I know where I'm going on these games. New JP poll. It's going to be a disaster when we release it. I'm prepared for it. Okay. It's, we're in our own kind of disaster preparation mode around here for different reasons. We have our eye on Hurricane Ian as well. And we have you guys down in Florida on our minds. Uh, we got some added best bets. And we've got, I think, two more tonight, along with some tough love to be dished out. I made you a promise a long time ago in this show, and I promised you it was going to be your show. And lately, we've had some claims of certain forms of biases appearing on the show, and yet we've kept our promise. May not sound like it, but we've kept our promise. I'm going I'm to address that a little bit later on tonight. They're watching us in Tyler, Texas, Williamsburg, Kentucky, Hamburg, Germany, and Duluth, Minnesota. Little, uh, little heads up here. Listen to me if you go to Alabama. I need some help. There are a couple of frat houses right across from Bryant-Denny Stadium. You know exactly which ones I'm talking about. So I don't know my Greek alphabet very well, but I need you guys to hit me up in my DMs if you were part of either one of those fraternities. That's all. Look, we have uh, several chalai of supremacy on the desk tonight. Anytime you do something extraordinary to help the show, we ship you one of these. It's got the uh, Pate State logo on it. It says Chalice of Supremacy. I say chalai because it's plural. There are more than one out here. Colin and I were talking about 10 minutes ago, and we decided to start a new tradition on the show. Uh, you can open whatever you want to. This is just cold brew. I'm not going to tell you the name of the company because they don't sponsor us. But instead of just drinking out of a little garden variety plastic cup over here, why not drink out of one of our Pate State Chalai of Supremacy? So I will sip from this throughout the rest of the show, and I encourage the dozens of you who have received a Chalice of Supremacy to use it in a similar fashion. And the rest of you will get one eventually. So that's something to look forward to in life. Let's dive into the show tonight. We've got several games to predict. Tuesday night is our prediction night. So let's dive in. And first and foremost, I want to get to NC State Clemson. This is the Saturday night, 7.30 Eastern time game on ABC. As of live broadcast tonight, they're still going to play this thing at 7.30 Saturday night. This was a runner-up. Let me stress that a runner-up for our Every Given Saturday Tour destination this week. I pay attention to weather every bit as much as I pay attention to college football, so I was well aware the conditions could rapidly deteriorate there Saturday, and it looks like they will. That's not the only reason we're not there, but it was chief among them. How big is this game, though? Forget about whether we're there or not. How big is this game? Massive. Huge. Uh, because the wonky shape of the ACC right now is such that three or four or maybe five of the best teams in the conference are all in one division. These are two of them. This may be the two best teams in the conference. Clemson and NC State. If Clemson loses this game, you're essentially a game and a half behind. You need the Wolfpack to drop two conference games, and it's possible. It's just not likely. You can repeat the same sentence on the other side of the fence there. It's the first meeting with both these teams in the top 10. It's the first, or it's, Jesse told me it's one of only three games in the country featuring 4-0 FBS teams this weekend, which is an interesting note to me. Also, here's what the weather has done in real terms to this game. The total opened at 48. That thing has been hammered all the way down to 40. Now, I'm just going to tell you this. If, if wind is a factor here, 
that's appropriate. If it's not, that totals about 10 or 11 points too low. So keep an eye on those wind conditions, kids. What have you been versus what can you be? Remember last week, that was kind of a theme on the show. What have you been? And then, have you been everything you could be? And if you haven't, do you have it in you to spring an upset and surprise the college football world? Well, NC State, on average, they have faced the 109th best pass defense in the country, which would lead you to believe, if you haven't watched the games, Devin Leary has feasted on that inferior defensive back competition, right? Wrong. He hasn't, which is troubling going into this game, because even though Clemson gave up some big yardage totals last week to Wake, if you got to throw into the wind and you're not doing good throwing in sterile conditions against the average 109th ranked pass defense to begin with, are you going to do something for me this week that you haven't been able to do yet? That's this, this classic kind of game here. If NC State pulls the upset, it's because Leary does something he was always capable of. We've seen him do it before. We just hadn't seen it this year. And it's not just on him. It's a collective, but he's the guy pulling the trigger back there. Number one, is he capable of more? Number two, is Saturday the day that we see that? And when you go back to last week and you look on the other side of the field here, and you talk about DJ Uyangalele having those big numbers he put up against Wake, is it transferable? My initial thought was good for him. He got a really, really good statistical game under his belt. That gets him ready for NC State. But the more I went back and watched it, the more I saw receivers making real good plays for him. That's part of it. Uh, but I, I did not take away from that game that a lot of what I saw last Saturday was transferable. It just seamlessly carries over. You know what I mean? So uh, he, may, he may still have a dynamite game this Saturday. I don't think it's as simple as, well, he did it against Wake, so let's just keep that momentum going. I think a lot of things that worked against Wake last week probably grind to a halt this week. Doesn't mean he can't have production. I just think you're starting from scratch again. Uh, to what degree does weather impact the offensive rhythm here? Which is the million-dollar question that we can't really answer yet. It looks like it's going to impact things pretty significantly. Wind, though, forget about the rain. Wind is what slows this to a crawl. If you got 15 or 20 mile an hour plus winds, that's what really slows this to a crawl. And I think about Brandon Streeter, who's the offensive coordinator for Clemson, and I wonder, is he willing to be patient? This could very well turn into the kind of game where you've got like an 80 to 20 run to pass ratio. The problem is, boy, that Wake Forest game is so fresh in your mind. And boy, DJ Uyangalele putting up all those passing yards. It's so fresh in your mind. And you know what it gets sometimes? Running the ball over and over again, it gets kind of boring. And you know what you got on that play sheet in front of you? You got a lot of stuff you've worked on in spring. You got a lot of stuff you worked on in fall camp. You got stuff you've installed for your game plan this week. And it just starts yelling at you. And eventually, you start calling some of those plays just because you have a tendency to not want to keep them in your back pocket. You don't want to leave bullets in the chamber. You want to use everything you prepared for. And sometimes, the best chance that you give yourself to win is just doing the same three or four things over and over and over again. And it may be that it's death by a thousand paper cuts to the opposition, but eventually it works. Is that the kind of game we have Saturday? And if it is, I'm thinking about both sides here, frankly, and I'm thinking about how critical defensive scoring will be in this game. That's the way that these weather games always play out. When you have a lot of wind and rain, it's the defensive scores that a lot of times determine the game and it applies both ways because Leary's going to have to throw as well. I mean, they're not going to run the ball to win against Clemson. They're going to have to throw. Now, Hartman was able to do it against them last week. That's a different world than what they're going to play in Saturday. But what interests me is we pull up the model here. I'll go ahead and show you what the computer thinks about it. As we pull up the model, 
I will tell you the Vegas number here is six and a half. I think that's what we still have. Yeah, Clemson minus six and a half. Home field's baked in there. So odds makers are essentially telling you about a field goal or so separates these teams on a neutral field, which is not too far off from, frankly, what I expected in the preseason. The model is a little bit shorter. The model has Clemson minus five. And I watched that weight game last week, and I, I knew where I was going on this thing as soon as that game wrapped up. I think there's a little bit of false sense of confidence that was given to Clemson last week. Not Forget about Clemson. In people's minds about Clemson because of that outcome. Had they dropped that game in overtime, this line would be 4-3, somewhere around there. And really, there's no difference in the outcomes. If anything, Clemson would be more desperate this week. I think NC State's got it in them to win this game. And I think they're going to win it. I think they're going to pull the upset. So I'm going to take NC State plus six and a half. I'm going to take them outright. Super Bowl mode. I simply think you're going to get a performance collectively out of them that's better than anything you've seen this year because I think it's in them. In other words, I do not think that the sum so far of what they've put out there is what their maximum capability is. And I think you're going to get it Saturday. Now, what could happen is you could have just a horrifically ugly game to where you watch it and whoever wins, wins. Maybe it's NC State, maybe it's Clemson, but regardless of who wins, you could walk away from that game saying, I don't even know what to make of this because, yeah, they played it and both teams had to play in the same conditions, but this was not conducive to a, a meaningful result for me. That Notre Dame-NC State game once upon a time where they played in a tropical storm, I felt that way coming out of that one. I think Deshaun Kaiser started for Notre Dame at quarterback and Brian Kelly just said, hey, screw it. We're going to throw into that wind anyway. And uh, the ball did exactly what it does in about 40, 45 mile an hour winds and Notre Dame dropped that game because NC State was disciplined enough for, to wait for them to give them the game. I wonder if that's how it turns out Saturday. We'll see. First sip from the chalice here. Mm. Colin, you were right. It tastes so much better. There's something about drinking out of a glass that tastes so much better. I'm going to predict the Kentucky Ole Miss game later, but I'm talking to our friends in Lexington, Kentucky right now. That's how you know it's serious. Paper pop. You've got a brand new Academy Sports and Outdoors opening in your backyard this weekend. Grand opening, people. Chalai of supremacy will be on the line. You got to get there and you got to prove to me that you were there. Receipts will do just fine. And uh, I'm going to pick about 10 of you who prove that to me and I'm sending you Chalai of supremacy. Academy Sports and Outdoors, our exclusive partner. We've done two of these grand openings with them already. I can't give you the exact numbers because it's been forbidden, but I can tell you, especially the Panama City grand opening was the most successful in the history of that company. Is it our fault? I can't say for sure, but yes, it was basically all on us. So let's do it again. Lexington, you guys have been asking for one. Everyone says, oh, I don't have, I look at the little dots on the map. I don't have a dot in my backyard. You're about to have a dot in your backyard. So make it count. Academy Sports and Outdoors. Now for the rest of you, you've either already got one in and around your neighborhood or you got the internet. And if you got the internet, go to Academy Sports and Outdoors and you get all of your outdoor sporting goods needs, Grilling needs, uh, rain gear, a lot of you are going to need that. You get that taken care of. You get bats and balls. You get camping equipment. You get everything that you need. Academy.com or Academy Sports and Outdoors. I, I do not look forward to what we're about to do. This has become my least favorite segment in the show every week. You know what? It deserves another sip. Oh, here we go. So... It's JP poll time, and we've got significant movement in the JP poll this week. 
I know that we are going to be inundated with foolishness once we post this later tonight. So what I figured we would do, so I don't have to answer the same question 47 times, is I'm just going gonna, gonna to do something here. Bear with me for about 30 seconds, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to clip what I'm about to say, and I'm going to respond to every troll on every social platform with this video. Here's how it's going to sound. Colin, we can put this in the regular video too. This is a power rating. It is not a ranking. If you are of the Danny Cannell mold and you come at me and you say, how could you advocate for this? Teams deserve to be higher. They do if you're ranking teams. I'm not ranking them. If I were ranking them, there are teams I don't have in my top 10 that I would put in the top 10. I don't have Kansas in our top 25. If I were an AP voter, I'd have Kansas in the top 20 because their merit deserves them to be there. That is not what this is. All this is, and I mean all period this period is, is who would be favored against who tomorrow. If you want to come at me and say, that's no way to determine how the playoffs should work, you're right. I'm not advocating for this to determine anything along those lines. I am simply performing an exercise based on our model and what it thinks about who would be favored against who tomorrow. If you want to yell at me, computers shouldn't decide championships in college football. They don't. I'm not advocating for that. All this is, is who we think would be favored against who, according to our model tomorrow. I hope I haven't been unclear. Let's get to the top 25. There are some new entrants here. For the first time in a couple of weeks, Oregon shows back up at number 25. Uh, we've got NC State there. We're lower on NC State than the AP, yet I just picked them to beat Clemson outright, so make sense of that what you will. Minnesota 23, LSU 22, and we've got Baylor there at 21. Minnesota is in this thing, I believe, for the first time this year, so they are going in the right direction. Okay, let's get to the top 20 because here's where we've got some pretty significant movement this week. And you got to remember, if you see a team move down, they may not have been bumped. They may have just had some other teams rate higher, and therefore they had to slide down by default. The number 20 team in the country is Kansas State. And I'm going to tell you why they rose all the way from being unranked to number 20. The model was flat out underestimating quarterback play for them. Because we've got a book on, on Adrian Martinez. Like we've, we've got a player profile on him. What we underestimated was how much a different environment would positively impact his play and therefore how much his positive play would impact that team. So Kansas State is just flat out better than we had them pegged for the first couple of weeks of the year. Or maybe they always were that and the model is just slow on the uptake. It has happened before. Texas A&M is still 19. What does that mean? It means we think there are about 18 teams in the country our model would favor against them tomorrow, and it has nothing to do with whether they lost to App State, and it has nothing to do with the coin flip game last week. That's all that matters. Kentucky is at 18. We're going to see them in person this Saturday. Florida State, a big mover at 17. Florida State, let me tell you why the model bumped them up, or why I think the model bumped them up. Last week, they played Boston College. They were favored by somewhere between 17 and 20, depending on when you bet the game, and they handled Boston College disposed of them quite easily. Some people discount that because they look and the human side of you says, why should I reward you for beating a bad team? The reason you should is because not every good team or good team that you think is good at least beats bad teams when they're supposed to. So you should reward them. You reward teams for winning really big games close. You also should reward them for beating bad teams soundly. So we did with Florida State. Cincinnati's still just lurking around at number 16. Here we go. Top 15 time. Mississippi State is still number 15. The model's been consistent on them all year. They've got a loss. They lost to LSU. They are favored by three and a half or four points now this weekend 
against Texas A&M. That opened at one and a half or two, and it's already crossed three. So Mississippi State, we got on them at two the other night. There's a reason I bet that on Sunday night, and I told you to do the same. I suspected it would cross three. It now has, and it's at four. Some places had four and a half earlier today. Point being, that's a really good team. They're an underrated team. Uh, the odds makers, pretty much all the advanced metrics guys out there kind of agree with us on Mississippi State. We've been on them pretty high all year. Arkansas had a slight drop, and they, they didn't really. I think we dropped them half a point in the model, so I told you there was going to be no real adjustment. I mean, Arkansas just lost to A&M. We still got Arkansas above A&M because we would favor them tomorrow on a neutral field again against A&M. Doesn't matter in terms of the win-loss column. Just for this simple exercise, that's where they are. Ole Miss, tough team to get a read on because they haven't played anyone. Now they'll play someone this weekend. So Ole Miss, Kentucky, it's one of the reasons we're going to the game. It's so attractive because we get two of our top 20 teams there playing against each other. Oklahoma State at 12, they're going to play Baylor this week. Texas at number 11. Now that stands out, I know. Let me explain why Texas is at 11, even though they've got two losses now. The Texas team that we have at 11 is the Texas team with Quinn Ewers. Because he gets reinserted, assumed reinserted back into the lineup this week. The model just thinks with Quinn Ewers, they're an undefeated team right now. And, and the caliber team they are now and moving forward, which is what this is used for, that's where they view them. So we couldn't care less they have two losses because this is not an AP ranking. Top 10 time. Let's roll right into the top 10, shall we? USC, we didn't have to adjust them at all because we didn't have them as high as everyone else. So you watched them nearly lose to Oregon State. It wasn't shocking to us. We, we've got them pretty much pegged where we want them. Clemson got taken to overtime against Wake. I, that's what we would expect. We didn't knock them down at all because we already had them at nine. So there's, there's no punishment. Plus, they won the game. So uh, even in the AP world, why would you punish a team if they win a game? Oklahoma's the team that fell a little bit here uh, because, well, they lost to Kansas State and they kind of got handled by Kansas State. Now, we still think they're a top 10 team. We don't think that that's anything that you're going to look back on at the end of the year and say, that was the start of a big slide for Oklahoma. But they've got a big, crucial game on the road against TCU this week. We do not think TCU is a top 25 team right now in the power rating world. But keep in mind, I'm going to give you some stats to fully articulate for you how jammed up all these teams are past number three. So it doesn't really matter that TCU is like number 29 or 30 for us, because if you go into their building, you get the kind of point spread you have with Oklahoma TCU, which I think is five or something like that. So everyone's looking ahead to Red River next week. No, Texas has got West Virginia this week. Oklahoma's got TCU. Those are both losable games. Penn State is still at seven. Utah's at six. Now, I'm going to say what some of you are thinking, then I'm going to address it in a second. Some of you are looking at Penn State at seven or Utah at six, and you're saying things like, Penn State's not a, a top seven team. Utah's not a, a top seven team. Colin, you can go ahead and roll to the top five because I'm going to say the same thing here. We've got at number five, Tennessee. At number four is Michigan. And I can hear some of you right now saying the same sort of thing. Tennessee's not a top five team. Michigan's not a top five team. What does top five mean? You've, you've, you sometimes got this very, very baked in idea of a generic top five team. What does that phrase, top five caliber, normally mean? And you've got, you got kind of the value of a team ascribed to what you think is top five caliber. That's not how you rate teams, though. You rate teams in the given year that they exist, in the current climate they exist. So right now, I would ask you this. If you scoff at Michigan or Tennessee being up there, 
That means you think there's another team that's clearly better than them and would clearly be favored against them if they played tomorrow. That doesn't exist right now is what I'm telling you. So you see, we got a new number one, by the way. Bama, our model put back at number one. Georgia's number two. Ohio State's number three. I want to tell you how wide the gap is in this sport right now as the model sees it. So Colin, do me a favor. Throw number one through five up again because I want people to be, well, there you go. That, that works too. So number one's Alabama, number two's Georgia, number three's Ohio State. The gap between Alabama and Ohio State, one through three, is two and a half points. So essentially, you've got equal teams there. There is less than a field goal difference between the top three. The gap between three and four, or Ohio State and Michigan, is 14 points, two touchdowns. Now get this. The gap between three and four is two touchdowns. The gap between four and 25 is seven points. So the gap between four and 25 is half as much as the gap between four and three. That is called tiers. That's called a tier one, which is those three teams at the top, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State. And then you got a very, very big drop off. And then you've got this mashup of teams, like 21 or 22, 23 teams that are within a touchdown of each other on a neutral field. So you see, when some of you want to argue with me that number 18 should be ahead of number 13, number 21 should be ahead of number 19, it's all semantics. Even the model admits, if it could talk, it would, it would say, it's all semantics because they're basically the same team. Thank you, model. They're basically the same team. And I agree with the model, you know? It's, it, it's the model segment, not mine. So I was mildly surprised to see Bama back at number one, but then, I, I mean, you know, Georgia did what they did against Kent State. I don't think it's a big deal at all, but, um, you know, these computers, they're a little more heartless than I am. So I can't wait. I cannot wait for the well-reasoned and logic-based comments and responses to what we just put out. I will take another sip out of the chalice in advance. Okay, back to game predictions. Boy, I'm looking forward to this one. <sighs> Kentucky at Ole Miss, Saturday noon Eastern, 11 a.m. local time kickoff on ESPN. You know I love a good early kickoff, and um, that was another reason why we went to this game. Every given Saturday tour, first time ever in the Grove, first time ever in Oxford to see a game. Very excited about that. I have had probably more people from Ole Miss reach out to me this week than... Well, I don't know, Arkansas inundated us pretty good. But aside from week one, I think more people have reached out to me from Ole Miss in anticipation of us coming down there than any place that we've gone in recent memory. And that matters to us, so I appreciate that. This is the first matchup between these two in Oxford since 2010. So thank goodness this new rotational schedule is coming for the SEC, because how in the world is that even possible? Do you know what was happening in the SEC in 2010? Cam Newton. It's been since the Cam Newton year in the SEC that Kentucky played in Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Two headlines to keep in mind as we enter this week and as we enter this game. Ole Miss, first real big test for them. I think we all get that. That doesn't discount what they are. They just literally have not been put in a position to prove themselves against worthwhile competition yet. Number two for Kentucky, Chris Rodriguez, the running back, he's finally back. Now, it's well documented that Kentucky has not run the ball worth anything this year. In fact, 2.4 yards per carry in the FBS level is near the bottom of the barrel. 
How much will he impact that? I think significantly, but I certainly don't think all of a sudden the Kentucky ground game becomes something that they can ride to a victory here. Far from that. So I expect they'll be well above 2.4 yards per carry. They may even be above four yards per carry. In fact, I think they will be this week. So that'll be great. It won't be quite enough in and of itself. I am convinced, and I mean I am thoroughly convinced, that turnovers are going to decide this game. The first reason is because if you've watched Ole Miss, and I don't think a lot of you have because they haven't been marquee games, Jackson Dart, Luke Altmyer, no matter who's been playing quarterback, there has been some questionable decision-making, and Lane Kiffin's been pretty vocal about it. And it's not the kind of thing that's ever going to cost you against the teams they played so far. They had a close call last week, but they won the game. It's not the kind of thing that's going to cost them based on the schedule they've played so far. It is absolutely the kind of thing that could cost them this Saturday. And I have no doubt that Mark Stoops will sell out to limit the run. And he'll look at those guys. And he'll look at his guys at corner and trust them and say, if they beat us throwing the ball, they beat us throwing the ball. But you know, the, the old stereotype about Lane Kiffin teams and Ole Miss, you just think about them in your head. You just think about them bombing away, bombing away. That's not the way that they've gone about things so far this year. They are a run-first team. They run the ball, which leads me to another problem for Ole Miss. Zach Evans, I don't think, is going to play Saturday. And if he does, it'd be at far less than 100%. I think Bentley's also out. So they got two experienced guys at tailback that may be out. And that leaves Quinshawn uh, Judkins starting for them probably. Now, he took home, I think, all SEC honors last week. He's a very good player, but it is a young player. And if I am convinced that turnovers are going to cost someone this week, decision-making at quarterback, youth and relative inexperience at running back, that's what could bite Ole Miss. On the other side, though, Kentucky has given up a ton of pressure. Will Levis has been pressured a lot. Kentucky has already allowed 16 sacks through four games. Uh, that is no bueno. And Ole Miss has improved steadily, defensively, every year. I think that they can get after Will Levis again this week. Uh, Kentucky, if they don't improve radically in the run game this week, and therefore if they are in a lot of obvious passing downs, it just sets itself up so well for those pressure situations for Will Levis to be affected. Now, here's what's going to happen. I could be right about them ultimately turning the ball over, and Levis still makes some circus throws, and he makes some circus plays. you got to tip your cap to him when he does that. What you got to do is make him do it half a dozen times to beat you. And if he does, then he does. you just got to bank on the fact that he doesn't do that, and he ends up giving you an opportunity, and you capitalize defensively. So what is the value? Here's the other thing that I'm thinking about with this game before we take a look at what the model thinks. You, you can only play who's on your schedule. So Ole Miss has not been tested yet. So if you think they're good, you think they're good. And if you think that they're overrated, the point is nobody has changed their mind on Ole Miss because the schedule has not allowed you to. They, they played Troy. They played Central Arkansas. They went to Georgia Tech. They played Tulsa last week. Both of these teams were sleepwalking last week. So you've got that on the Ole Miss side. Colin, could you show me Kentucky's schedule right quick? Because here's what I want to know. What is the value of Kentucky having played that game in week two at Florida? where they went down there and they had to fight and they got, a, they got some turnover bounces their way and they won the game. And that's been the only real test for them because they sleepwalked last, is it sleepwalk, sleepwalk, whatever. The past tense of sleepwalking, they both did it last week. What is the value of that week two game? Do we get to a point in this thing where Ole Miss gets out into the deep end for the first time and you realize there are some cracks on that team you just didn't know about 
And then conversely, you're watching Kentucky and you say, look at them, man, being a little battle tested in week two, that's proving to pay dividends for them this week. That's kind of me openly speculating because I don't have the answer to that. I just wonder about it. So let's take a look at what the model thinks. Let's take a look again at the Vegas number. Ole Miss is favored by six and a half. If you wanted to, you could have gotten Rebs minus four last week in the futures market. And I expected it to tick up a little bit, and it has. And it may even touch seven this week. I have looked at this thing, and I think that turnovers are going to decide it, which, which is me telegraphing to you, I don't think there's much skill in predicting the outcome of this game. And I am outright admitting that, as I tell you, I'm taking Kentucky to win the game outright because I like the profile of the team. I think they match up fairly well here. Uh, there are some questions on my side about Ole Miss and their ability to take over the game on the ground. And if they can't, I, I know those quarterbacks have it in them to play a complete game. But man, I also know Kentucky's defense has it in them to change a game. And so it's just a slight hunch. There's nothing strong in my mind about this. We're probably not going to be betting the game or anything. But I'm going to take Kentucky to cover. And if I think it's going to be that close, I never feel like I'm in a winning proposition situation with Kentucky games because anytime I pick against them, I'm the one proven wrong, and I'm the one out here holding up apology notes to Mark Stoops. So you know what? If I'm proven wrong this time, I'm going to be proven wrong betting on Mark Stoops instead of against him. We'll take Kentucky to win. We'll take Kentucky to cover. Up the road a good ways, and I mean a really good ways, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We got Bama at Arkansas this week. Big line on this one. I didn't know it, but it had risen all the way to 17 and a half today. What does that sound like? Texas. Yeah. Sounds like Bama at Texas. What happened there? Bama almost got beat by Texas. Everyone remembers that. And yet, odds makers are aware of that too. And there they are. They're just, they're just hanging it. They're just hanging at 17 and a half in front of it. You want it? You want Arkansas at 17 and a half? Take it, buddy. Come on. Jump up. Take it. There you go. Take it. They want you to take it. Are we going to take it? Well, we'll see. Uh, I think it was Jimmy Dykes, ironically in the world of basketball, that once said, a wounded hog is a dangerous hog. Jesse, I want you to remember that. A wounded hog is a dangerous hog. Hey, Meemaw used to say the same thing, and they're both right. Jimmy Dykes and Meemaw, a wounded hog, a dangerous hog. And that's exactly what Alabama's going to face this Saturday. Backs against the wall up there. Wounded, not wounded animal mode, wounded hog mode. And Hoops Amongst Us hasn't been in that position a time or ten in our lives. Alabama. I don't know where they misplaced that secret road elixir they used to have, but they don't have it, or they haven't had it. It used to be that when Bama played a big game at home, I got kind of a little bit nervous. When they went on the road, I never had a doubt about them. They were a better road team than a home team for quite a while. That's not been the case. So whatever that little secret sauce they used to have is, Georgia fans will tell you it was just Kirby. Uh, whatever it was they used to have, if they find it this week, they could drum Arkansas. However, why should I think this is the week they find it? It wasn't, it wasn't there in week two. It wasn't there against Florida or A&M or Auburn last year. So is this the week they find it? I don't know. I, I tend to think eventually one week they're going to stumble upon it and they're just going to completely and absolutely splatter someone. But until that day, let's remain cautious about just laying these massive numbers with Bama on the road. Nick Saban's been there since 2007. And yet, there's only one team, one ranked team, that they've put up 671 yards of total offense against. In his entire time there, against ranked teams, who do you think they have the most single-game yardage against? 
it's Arkansas, and it was last year. They had 671 total yards in this game. Bryce threw for about 560 yards and five touchdowns. That's the first thing that has to change for Arkansas if they have a shot to pull the upset here. Obviously, you can't get shredded like that through the air and stand much of a chance. Now, if I were to remember where that game was played, it was Tuscaloosa. So you certainly have home field on your side this year. I remember back a couple of weeks ago how shook Bama's offensive line was, how shook Bama's team was playing on the road in Austin. You got to create that kind of environment and you got to let the chips fall where they may. That's the first thing that has to change here. Because this Arkansas, the Arkansas secondary is vulnerable. Everyone knows that. How will Bill O'Brien choose to attack it? Because against, against Texas, one of the big takeaways coming out of that is not enough tempo, not enough plays run. Uh, the wide receiver core kind of let them down. I told you after that game, I do not expect those to be season-long problems. I think you'll see a little change up this Saturday. Now, whether they execute or not, totally different story. I think they will attempt to go about things a different way this Saturday. Here's the second thing Arkansas needs to go a different way from last year if they're going to compete. I think they have to double their yards per carry. In this game last year, Arkansas, that great rushing attack of Arkansas had 2.6 yards per carry. And that's not good enough. They probably need to do something like doubling that number, among other things, if they're going to pull an outright upset here. If they're at 4.5 yards per carry or better, that's when we start to talk about them doing that and then some other things and then having a shot. If they're not in that four and a half to five yards per carry range, the rest of what we're talking about, probably a moot point. You got the ninth best ground game in the country in Arkansas. That's the good news. The bad news is Bama's got the fourth best rush defense in the country. Speaking of which, could we just take a time out for a second? I saw our buddy Cole Kubelik, friend of the program. I know because he sent me footage of himself watching the program earlier today. Uh, Cole had the Bama game last week. And he put out something earlier today, and he was just asking if any of those Pete Golding haters, the fire Pete Golding crowd, are they around right now? Does anyone know? Because I look on the back of every milk carton, and I see a fire Pete Golding person. I haven't seen them in person as of late. They've kind of disappeared, probably because of the aforementioned rushing statistic I just read to you. Bama's defense has been pretty good this year. Here's what would bring them out of the woodwork pretty quickly. If K.J. Jefferson did what Quinn Ewers and even Hudson Card, to a degree, started to do against Bama, just, just throw it up, just take shot plays against them and make those corners play the ball in the air. What if you find out that they just, that you flag your way 15 yards at a time down the field against Bama's secondary because they can't keep their hands off of your receivers? That would bring the fire Pete Golden crowd out of the woodwork pretty quickly. I think Terry and Arnold plays the ball in the air about as well as any corner they have, by the way. He's a true freshman. That's a little side note. Uh, that, along with a greatly improved rushing game, those are two, really three things that Arkansas has to do differently this year. Let's take a look at the model, and let's take a look at what the Vegas number is. I told you this thing's inflated all the way to 17 and a half. We think it's too big. The model has Bama minus 14. Now, in reality, you know how these games go. Th there's, there's a very low probability of Bama actually winning the game by 14. This is an aggregation of 100 simulations, and it comes out to Bama minus 14 on average. What happens here is you got a bunch of games in the bag here, and some of them are Bama narrowly winning, and some of them are Bama blowouts, and then it all averages out to Bama minus 14, but that's what we have to go on. So I'm going to take Alabama to win the game. 
but I am absolutely not laying 17 and a half until I see them reestablish themselves on the road. So I will take Arkansas to cover. Now, question is going to become, are we going to be adults in talking about Arkansas after that? Or are we going to be a you are what your record says you are casual and dismiss them entirely, knowing good and well had they played North Carolina's schedule so far, they'd be undefeated. Um, choose ye this day which ideology you will go by, but as for me and my household here, we will use common sense. 2415, I think Joshua 2415, a version of it, but we're using it for college football. They're watching us in Moreno Valley, California. They're watching us in Newark, Ohio, and Aberdeen, Mississippi. Jesse, what did you just say in my ear? Oh, yeah, okay. Do me and Jesse and Colin a favor, because these chalai ain't free. Please like the video. I'm going to give you five seconds to do it. No, I'm not. That's a waste of time. Please like the video and subscribe to the channel. And that's it. That's all. We move on. I, I am looking forward to this game a whole lot. I, I'm, a, I'm just going to apologize. I'm going to take a sip of cold brew, and I'm going to apologize. Oklahoma State plays Baylor Saturday. This is going to be a great game. I have no doubt it's, it's going to be a great game. It's a 3.30 kickoff on Fox, so it's like big 3.30 kickoff, big, big mid-afternoon kickoff. This is a Big 12 championship game rematch, and I apologize that we're not going to be there. I really do. I, lo I love both programs. I mean, I have professed my love for Mike Gundy as recently as this past week, and you know that I would, I mean, I would just, I would room together with Dave Aranda at this point. If he fell on hard times, he needed a place to stay, I'd have a couch for him. I'd take the couch, he could take the bedroom. That'd be fine. I think that this is going to be a phenomenal game. Two of the best programs in the Big 12, two of the most underrated programs in America. I want to do two things here. The first thing I want you to do is remember how this thing ended in the Big 12 championship game last year. It was one of the great moments of the season to me. I mean, you've got, you've got a goal line situation, and Oklahoma State runs for the corner pylon. I can't remember which player it was. And Baylor gets the stop. Zeros on the clock. They win the, they win the Big 12 championship that way. I was at the SEC championship game. As a chorus of you say, of course you were. I was at the SEC championship game. And I was standing next to a good friend of the program, Stuart McNair, who's also the guy that Irv Smith trucked in the end zone when Tua hit Devontae for the national championship win, and then Irv Smith trucked a guy. You've seen that a thousand times. It was Stuart. So I'm standing next to him in the bowels of Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which are pretty nice because they're new bowels, you know. And, man, I remember the reaction. I mean, I, I yelled at the TV. And you got probably the most raw, guttural bit of emotion from me that day and we were about to watch an SEC championship game in person, but wow, look at that replay. That's how the Big 12 championship game ended last year. And then Dave Aranda's heartbeat, much like Hannibal Lecter, never got above 85. Just total assassin over there, totally cerebral. But that is college football. That was great. So this is a rematch of that game. The next thing I want you to do is take a look at these odds that Jesse and Colin have. The current up-to-date, as of this moment, Big 12 championship odds. And these, are, oh, it's a doozy to look at. Baylor is the current favorite, but I think, Colin, are they co-favorites or are they favorites? I think they're, so, so they're co-favorites. So Baylor and OU right now are co-favorites to win the Big 12. They're at plus 325 each. Oklahoma State, very close behind at plus 400. And basically, that's just Vegas saying it's anybody's ball game. When the favorites are plus 325, it's anybody's ballgame. To give you a comparison, Ohio State is like minus 
several hundred, to win the Big Ten. So there, there is a very big favorite some places, and there's not one right now here. But these are two of them. Oklahoma State is rested. They did not play last week. And Baylor was up in Ames, Iowa, getting a close win against Iowa State. So you do have the rested versus road weary theory here in play if you want to subscribe to that. To me, the most important player in this game is Spencer Sanders. And that's the Oklahoma State quarterback. And I'm going to tell you why. Since the start of the 2021 season, against teams not named Baylor, he has a 29-6 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. That's really good, isn't it? Yes, it is, children. And then Baylor walks in the door. And his touchdown-to-INT ratio against Baylor is 1-7. to He had three picks in the regular season game last year and had four more of them in the Big 12 championship game. Something tells me if you cut back on that, you give yourself a really good chance to win. And you're not getting that kind of analysis anywhere else. Only here can we tell you that turning the ball over is not conducive to winning football games. Blake Shapin, quarterback there for Baylor. Plenty good enough. Here's another piece of breaking news that you're not getting anywhere else. When you don't pressure him, he's plenty good enough to win. Now he's not putting up Heisman numbers. Plenty good enough to win. The big test for this Oklahoma State defense is they've only recorded 17 QB hurries this year. Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator there, he went to Columbus, Ohio. And the big question is, as he took some of his players with him, how are they going to be this year? So far, they've been okay, but it's hard to forget those points that Central Michigan hung on them. Didn't matter because they won the game, but you tuck that in the back of your mind, and now they head out on the road, and you wonder, can they get after the quarterback enough? And if they can't, does Blake Shapin have just a good enough afternoon to where Baylor can get themselves a 26-23 to kind of win? Which brings me to my next point, and that is the line on this game and it is what the model thinks about this game. The line is basically home field. It's Baylor minus two and a half, and you could argue maybe a half point here and there. Baylor minus two and a half is your line right now. Uh, the model is much more extended. It has a decided lean on this game, and it is Baylor minus six. So the model is big on the Bears here, and I have no reason not to ride with it, and I'll apologize to Mike Gundy if I'm wrong, but we are going to take Baylor to win the game, and we're going to take Baylor to cover the game because at the end of the day, I do not think they're going to be able to get after the quarterback enough. You're not in a hostile environment if you're Baylor. And even if they are, they took care of business last week. I think Baylor's going to win this game, and I think they're going to cover. I think it could very well be a preview of yet another rematch later on this year. We have to, we have, to have a little discussion here. And this is going to be some tough love, but it's going to be necessary. Casuals need exit the door right now. Thank you for stumbling your way onto the show, but uh, this is not going to be a segment for you. Here, let me juice up right quick. So, I think we have a tweet, actually. Take a look at what one of you asked me. One of you asked me, is there SEC homerism within the Every Given Saturday tour? And this has been a problem we've been, well, it's been something we've been dealing with for about the past two or three weeks. Because, as you know, we just choose wherever we want to go on Saturdays, and we've been very SEC-heavy so far this year. Uh, some of you also claim that we talk just SEC too much in general on the channel. So, I'm going to break this to you as simply and as softly but firmly at the same time as I can. When I got here and they let us do this show, I remember the very first show we did, I made a promise to you. And I said, it's going to be your show. I'm going to be the one talking. But, but I will not have my hands on the steering wheel. That'll be you. 
you will totally program and format our show for us. We're just going to follow you. I said the same thing when we started it independently back in Columbus. I said, I want this to be a national college football show, but I'm ultimately going to follow you. In my perfect world, everybody cares about every conference the exact same. In my perfect world, we could talk about Oregon versus Washington State last week every bit as long as we talked about fill in the blank. I mean, whatever we talked about last week. That would be a perfect world to me because I'm about the least biased person in this room right now. I want to talk about all the regions. I've shared my feelings on what my utopian college football world is. But that's not reality. The reality is some places they care more. Some places, dare I say, it just means more. And we follow them. So when I say that it's your show, I literally mean it's your show. And what we've done and what we will continue to do is we will track every bit of data that is ingested by this YouTube channel and our podcast feed. We know what you watch. We know what you listen to. We know how long you listen to it. We know where you are geographically when you're listening to it and watching it. And we know what you click on. And we know what has the higher click-through rates. We know what has the longer viewer or listener duration or audience retention in our world. And therefore, this is not a charity. It's a business. We follow you. Colin has a little helpful graphic for me. If you don't buy what I'm talking about, we had a show Sunday night. It was a reaction show. We always do the same format on Sunday night. We cut six individual videos from that show. And you're looking at them. If you're watching on YouTube right now, you're looking at that home screen. And you're looking at a video about Texas getting upset. And you're looking at Ohio State rolling. And you're looking at an A&M Arkansas video. Miami got upset. There's a Tennessee... Florida video there. All of those did 20,000 or more views. Then we did Clemson Wake Forest. And it's sitting there south of 6,000 views. Now, that is a microcosm a lot of times of what we deal with when we're stacking the show and formatting the shows. We know ahead of time there are some things that aren't going to get much traction. Now, again, if this were an independent channel and I was just out there doing this for fun, it wouldn't matter. But you see, All this backing we get, we get Academy on board, we got CBS writing the checks for us. In return, they want just that, return on investment. And so I simply ask you, what would you do? If this were your show, what would you do if this were your channel? And those are not unique results. That's how it works pretty much every time. How would you shape and format the show? That's the first thing I ask. Second thing, as it relates to the Every Given Saturday Tour, we've been very SEC heavy. We have. Uh, There are two edges that SEC games or games in the South have, I will admit this. Number one, proximity. Uh, But number two, on average, passion is just higher in the SEC. They don't have the market cornered on it. I'm not saying they do. I'm saying if you've ever been around college football, you know what I'm saying is true. There's a third thing too. The quality overall of football is better than the SEC. They don't have the market cornered on good football. I'm saying on average, You got more big-time games down there. So when we're sitting here every Saturday in Nashville and we're deciding where to go, knowing we have to get back here for a Sunday show, we it's hard to go to the West Coast. Now, I still want to go out there. It's hard to get out there. So you get an edge the closer you are to Nashville. Secondly, we're trying to get to the best environments. We're trying to see the most teams. We're trying to see the best matchups. So far this year, that's the way it has shaken out. Now, if you'll look at last year, because this is the map. This is where we went last year. We went to Iowa, Iowa State. We went up to Penn State. They played Auburn, but it wouldn't really mattered. We would have gone up there in week three anyway. Uh, we went to OU Texas. We went to Michigan, Michigan State. We went to OU Baylor. 
Uh, we went to Michigan State, Ohio State. We went to Ohio State, Michigan. We went all over the place last year. Why? Because the criteria and the circumstances dictated that it was fine for us to do so. It hasn't been that way so far this year. Now, I will give you a little spoiler. I've looked down the road at the schedule. Things are about to rapidly change, so I don't think we'll be dealing with claims of SEC homerism on the Every Given Saturday tour much longer. But here's what I'm saying. It's as simple as this. If you want the formatting of the show to change, you will change it. I will just follow you. That's what we've always done on the show. That's what we will continue to do. And I'm not saying that sarcastically. I really, really mean I'd love to spend more time talking about the Big 12. Would love to spend more time talking about the Pac-12. But I'm not going to do it to silence a few people on Twitter. I'm going to do it because big enough amounts of you, through your traffic and habits, tell me that you want it. So, as I tend to say at the conclusion of these kinds of segments, our balls are in your court. Now, we have to address something that's even more pressing. And it's, uh, oh boy, it can, it can conflict you if you care about safety, but also college football. So Jake hit us up and he said, what are your thoughts on Texas Tech being fined for field storming? Backstory, of course, is Texas Tech just beat Texas and it was an upset and it's big. It's Joey McGuire's first year out there as head coach and the place was psyched and they stormed the field. They got the big win. There comes the mascot and you watch this and if you are a red-blooded college football fan, it's beautiful. Not if you're a Texas fan, but if you're, if you're not attached to the universities, you watch this and it's fun. Nobody else has this. They don't do this in pro sports. This only happens in college football, college basketball. And so I watch that. Again, if I'm not a Texas fan, that's a beautiful sight to me. And to me, it is one of the essential parts of the fabric of college football, but it does not come without risk. And there was a loser, let's just call it like it is, there was a loser this past Saturday that came and trucked one of the Texas players. And we've got footage of it right here. And there he goes. And that's about the only footage that was captured. But luckily, someone did get that footage. I'm going to address this in a second. Here's the problem with field storming. I'm shocked this hasn't already happened before. Stunned. Because you know 95% of people coming on that field just want to come down there, take a selfie of themselves, be part of that spider cam shot, and they want to celebrate. They don't mean anyone any harm. Problem is, 5% of our population is this dude. And the 5%, as is usually the case, screw it up for the 95%. I'm going to give you a phone number right quick, by the way. This is the Texas Tech Police Department. 806-742-3931. I'll send a chalice of supremacy to anyone who outs that dude. Because the sooner you can get people like that out of your crowd, the better off you are. And I'm all for field storming, all for it, safely. And there's a safe way to do it. Let the losing team get off the field. You just beat them. So trust me, they're, they're far more humiliated about that than they ever would you cold cocking them in the back. And secondly, you are going to ruin a very good thing if you continue to act like that. So the fine is the fine. As Citibank, by the way, do we have the tweet, Colin? Citibank in Lubbock stepped up. This is via front office sports. Texas Tech got fined 50 grand by the Big 12 for the field storming. And immediately following the announcement, fans asked if they could help. And now Lubbock-based Citibank has announced it's going to step up and it's going to cover the entirety of the fine. That is paid state material. Hats off to Citibank. If I ever move to Lubbock, I will do business with you guys. You have my word on that. If I ever move to Lubbock. But in the meantime, the fine is not the big deal. Okay, it's kind of symbolic. No one cares about that. 
Even in the SEC, I think they fine you six figures. No one cares. It always mysteriously gets taken care of. It's worth it. The, the content alone, the visual, it's worth it. And it's part of college football. It's part of the fabric. Don't be making physical contact with other players or other coaches. Don't be a loser. Don't be that dude who costs it for everyone. Don't, don't mess this up. We saw three or four field stormings last year, and it was great. It was, a, it was a phenomenal environment every time. Don't be messing it up for me, selfishly. Don't be messing it up. Okay, we got some more Ramen Noodle Express best bets. We had a winning week last week. That's only if you watched Friday Night Lines at Late Kick Josh on Instagram. Finally, I got some of you DMing me saying, I opened up an Instagram account just to watch it. What do I do? And that's smart. I'm not asking you to surf the app all day. I'm just saying there is a very specific reason why I only do that broadcast on Instagram Live. It's like 20 minutes long. I do it on Friday nights. I give you about an hour's worth of a heads up, and then I do it on Friday night. There is a reason for that. I don't have time to explain it. There's a reason. I'm not putting that on all the platforms. It's just not the way it's going to work. So if you want access to that, it's free. Just make sure you're following me on Instagram, at Josh. Okay, here are the games we're already on this week. Iowa plus 10. Mississippi State, we got them at minus two. That number's all, it's, it's up to four now. It's already crossed three. Florida State minus five is when we got on it. It's already up to seven now. This is why we move on these games early. Liberty minus two. They're playing Old Dominion, not the freight company. Okay, new games here. There's probably no team that the model has had a better grip on than Eastern Michigan. We're going to continue to ride with Eastern Michigan because the model loves them to win by like 24 points this week. They're laying 19 and a half against UMass. We're going to lay 19 and a half with Michigan or with Eastern Michigan. And since it worked for us last week, we're going to go back to the well. And we're going to bet Virginia plus two and a half on the road against Duke. We think the wrong team is favored. We think Virginia will win outright. So those are two added bets tonight. Virginia plus two and a half, Eastern Michigan minus 19 and a half. And that's on top of Liberty minus two, FSU minus five, Mississippi State minus two, and Iowa plus 10. It perturbs me as we go off the air here that we're at 937 likes. So let's just go ahead and click that thumbs up button and get us over a thousand. Cause if we don't, Jesse, to some of you is not a real person, but to me, I know he is. And he's never more cranky, unnecessarily so, aggravatingly so, than when we don't get a thousand likes. So if you don't do it for yourself, please do it for me. Thank you in advance. We'll be back here, same time Thursday night. Until then, subscribe to the pod, subscribe to the YouTube channel for Director Colin. For Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Bate. Take care. Thanks so much for watching and listening, and God bless.